Well, you guys ready for the word? All right, we're gonna we're gonna just jump right in and dive right in. Um, you know, I was saying in first service, and I really want to just I'll say a quick encouragement to you guys as well. Um, God's doing a lot of good things in church right now. There's lots of cool things happening, growth. I mean, I don't, I don't want to put everything just two numbers, but that's an exciting manifestation. But I really want to encourage you about being intentional about connecting. Um, it's on all of us to work to connect to one another. And especially as churches start to grow and as churches get larger, there can be challenges around people feeling connected and feeling disconnected and doing that. But here's the deal. The deal is we all, if we all play our part, we can continue to build a family that's very connected. You know, sometimes people say, well, I just feel disconnected. You know, and if I could challenge on that one, if... I'm not saying this is the only reason it happens, but sometimes people say, oh, I just feel very disconnected. But it's like, you come to church either right on time or late, and then as soon as we dismiss, it's like, you know, you make a beeline for the parking lot. And it's just like, let me get to my car as quickly as possible. And we go, and then we wonder why we feel disconnected. And, and if I can really encourage you, people say, well, the church just needs to do this. Well, you know what? You and I are the church. So a lot of times what I try to do is when I start thinking, well, the church needs to do this, I put my name in there and I go, okay, you know what? I need to do this more because I'm part of the church. And I just really want to encourage you. I, I've, I've learned over time, even in that, is the connection is so important. I, we were saying, Pastor Sharon, I joke, because Pastor Sharon's very extrovert. She loves talking to people, meeting people. I tend to be a lot more introverted. You know, I kind of can have my book and whatever and be quite happy in my cave for a day and I'm totally fine. And I can do it. So sometimes I'm just like, well, I don't need that. I don't need, like, I'm good. I got my word. I'm good to go. But you know what? Maybe I don't need it then. Now, so I do, actually. Because sometimes you don't think you need people until you need people. And then you wonder, how come there's no people? But if you keep boxing everybody else out of your life, and I'll say need them. So I had to learn I needed people. But here's the other thing. Some days maybe I didn't need it. But you know what? Maybe that person next to me does need it. There's somebody here today that God's called me to connect with, to build relationship with more, to take a step beyond, to pray for. You know, take those steps. I really want to encourage us that we all take on what's my part in continuing to connect. What's my part in staying connected in what God is doing here. And so, uh, it's just, yeah, it's exciting all that God's doing in that right now. But I want to I want to take some time. I've got a word for you guys today. Uh, a couple shout outs really quick. We had an amazing time on Friday night at Altered Friday. How many are here Friday night for Altered Friday prayer? We had an amazing time. And I really want to encourage you, we're continuing in this upper room season. Where we're prioritizing these times of gathering and praying and seeking God. So we met this past Friday and we're doing Fridays every second week. And then the alternate weeks, we're doing Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. So it's a sacrifice, but I want to encourage you. Get people coming and rolling their sweatsuits, their, you know, their hoodies, everything else. You come in, you know, hair ties, whatever. We don't care. Just come and pray. Right? Come and seek God. No, I don't wear a hair tie. But anyways, you know, come in. We're going to seek God. Come together. So it's going to be this week. And I also want to give a shout out to all our students and our teens. They had an amazing time at Change Conference the last couple days. You lost your voice. Rashida was about to, about to scream, but she lost her voice. So we're excited for that. And we also want to say a special welcome to any first-time guests with us today. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're so glad you've chosen to join us. And here's what we want to ask you. Whether you came for the baby dedication or maybe you found us online or a friend invited you, at the end of service, if you go out those doors, we have a connect table. At the connect table, we have a team member who would love to meet you, 
get to know you a little better, answer any questions you have, but then also we have a gift we want to give you. It's just our way of saying thank you for joining us. So let's dive into the Word of God here today. Arnold, thank you very much, sir. I'll give your hands a little bit of a break, but I'll be calling you back soon enough. So... We love Arnold. <laughs> He's still single, too, so just so you know, we'll put it out there. So, anyway, all right. Well, hopefully not for much longer in Jesus' name. But anyways, but we're going to find the right person. Amen. Amen. I, I'm back in marriage mode. I want to do weddings, more weddings, right? So let's just, just, now don't go marry someone for the sake of marrying somebody, please, right? Just make sure it's God's person for your life. But amen. We're doing lots of baby dedications. I want some more weddings. So in Jesus' name. Amen. We got some people in agreement. All right, it's okay. You can agree and share. That's, that's fine. You know, he finds a wife, finds a good thing. Gentlemen, you need to be looking. Ladies, make yourself very findable. All right? So that's just, right? Nothing wrong with making yourself findable. Amen. Sometimes, you know, you can make it tough on us fellas. So, you know, it's just help us out a little bit. But guys, also step up and do what you got to do. Amen. Oh, I got some amens on that one. All right. So. Uh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for baby dedications and weddings and uh, just lots of fun life stuff that you're doing. We're a spiritual family. And we just thank you for speaking to us today. Uh, God, that our, our hearts would really be, you do some heart surgery in our hearts today because of what we share. We love you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's rock and roll. Uh, as you guys know, well, most of you would know, some of you I'll try and bring you up to speed really quickly. We're in a special season here at Toronto State Church. We've been calling it Upper Room Season. Uh, a core verse we've been building from is Luke 24, 49, which says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So we've been talking about how we've got some incredible promises from God. Number one, I mean, we went through a season of just some very significant prophetic words that the Lord spoke and released over us as a church. But even beyond that, I mean, we've got the Bible. We've got great and precious promises. God has made great promises over our lives. So we've been talking about there's these promises, but we've been recognizing the need for God's power to live them out. They're too big for ourselves. They're too big for us. We do not have the ability or the capability to do it in our own strength. But that's why Jesus said, you will be endued with power from on high. Everybody say power. So you're going to be endued with power from high, but then he had told them, go and wait or tarry in the city of Jerusalem. So this season has been, we're recognizing the promises, we're recognizing that we want to walk in a greater degree of God's power, and so we've been hearing this word that we need to take the extra time to wait on him and to seek him and to pursue him. And so we've talked about prioritizing the presence of God, prayer, the prophetic word of the Lord, the need for his power in our lives and in doing that, but we've also recognized, and I thought if you didn't hear last week's word, I really want to encourage you to go back online and listen, because Joel brought an amazing word that really connected why we're getting the power, because it's power with a purpose. And so it was starting, even though we're still very much in this waiting season, we really felt it was going to be September, October, November, and then we'd see what God does beyond that. So while we're in this waiting season... I liked what Joel did last week because he kind of nudged us a little bit and saying, yes, we're waiting, but let's remember the purpose. And let's remember God's heart for people. Because even when we see the upper room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and they shared the gospel with people. They ministered to people. God moved in the lives of people. And so Joel really stirred our hearts with some great examples of us stewarding and us being having that heart for people. And so it got me thinking because I was praying about which direction to go this week, and I wanted to 
I wanted to build on what he said a little differently, but, but in a similar vein and take some time to talk to you because I want to just, again, stretch our perspective a little bit to what's this purpose that goes beyond just waiting. We're waiting with purpose. Somebody say, we're waiting with purpose. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said this, but you'll receive power. So this is kind of another variation of the verse we've been working with. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word witness really jumped out to me as I was preparing this message. And so the first part of being a witness was what I believe Joel encouraged us in last week. Someone, a witness is someone who shares about what they've seen or what they've heard. It's not just in of yourself, but it's you witnessing something and then witnessing to others about what you have experienced. And so it's that I'm in a witness. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is not just so we can have good feelings in ourselves and feel great ourselves, even though the Holy Spirit does want to do a work in our hearts. But he also wants to give us power to be witnesses. And so that's one element of being a witness. But the second thing that I want to take some time to kind of dive into a little bit more today was it also spoke to me, reminded me, we're in the book of Revelation, it talks about being faithful witnesses. Everybody say faithful witnesses. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit also wants to empower us to be faithful witnesses. Where we will be faithful to the truth of God even in difficult and challenging times. Everybody say a faithful witness. See, when Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon them to be witnesses, he had some insight on what they were going to face that I don't think they did yet. They didn't know what they were going to face. They didn't know what things were going to look like. But if we read through the book of Acts, I believe that Jesus foresaw some of the challenges that they were going to face. The church was birthed in turbulent times. The church was birthed in Jerusalem, in the upper room. In a nation that was currently under the dominion of another nation, they were under oppression from Rome. There was all kinds of unrest and challenges and things. I mean, just look at Jesus' crucifixion and the the tensions and the political tensions that were there and the hatred that was there. And the anger was there. They were coming into, it was a very broken world. It was a very broken world where there was a lot of injustice. There was a lot of oppression. There were a lot of things that were going on in that world. And Jesus knew as well that they were going to face challenges. I mean, come on, guys. The man who wrote most of the New Testament started killing Christians and putting them in jail until he bumped into Jesus on the Damascus Road. That was the Apostle Paul who was Saul. So Jesus knew they were going to face very challenging times, but he said, you're going to have power to be a witness and to be a faithful witness in the time that you're in. And just like in the book of Acts, even though our circumstances are different, I do believe that we face similar challenges that you could draw some connections. We definitely live in challenging times. We live in times where there is a lot of change. There's a lot of upheaval. As we know, you just have to turn on the news for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. And you can see a lot of what's happening in the world around us. So we're living in difficult times. We're living in times where it's becoming less and less politically correct to be a Christian who says, I believe the Bible. We're living in difficult and challenging times, but in the same way, there's a promise. There's a promise of the Father that only will the Holy Spirit give us power to be witnesses, to share our faith. But the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you power to be a faithful witness. You don't have to worry of will I have the strength or will I have the ability, but if you stay connected with me, you stay in the upper room, you stay in a place of waiting on me and have that heart, I will give you power to be a faithful witness. Everybody say faithful witnesses. We live in a world that's going through turbulent times. 
where there's massive disruption, but God is giving us his power to be a faithful witness. You know, really, if, if we're honest, we look in the world around us, it can seem pretty wild out there. It's pretty wild out there. It, it can feel like we're heading into uncharted territory. Uh, and so I want to just take a few moments today. I want to encourage you regarding having faith in the wild. Everybody say faith in the wild. <laughs> yeah, we're in the wild a little bit. We're in some challenging times, but God wants to give you faith in the wild. We said this year is a year of faith, and so we're going to have faith in the wild. How many people in here are outdoor people? Anybody love the outdoors? Okay, not too many of us. It doesn't totally surprise me. We are kind of a city church, all right? How many people, how many people love doing things like camping, canoe trips? Okay, we got some hands going. I'd be proud about it. Not bad pride, but you know, if you like it, love it. You know, it's just, I love the outdoors. How many people are like Pastor Sharon where your idea of roughing it is a three-star hotel? <laughs> All right, there we go. That's, that's, that, thank you. That's fine too. Be that way. So, now I, I was thinking about prepared this message. The story came back to my mind. You're kind of about faith in the wild. And I was thinking about some stuff with my dad. Now, a lot of you will know my dad. He's not here today, but usually sits right up there. And if you ever hear everyone's, he doesn't do it a lot recently because he's like, Dad, can you just not do the whistle anymore? But you know, I do the whistle and it kind of hurts your ears. Just like, stop it with the whistle. So anyways, my dad has just been obviously a, a tremendous support and impact in my life. He's been with me right from when I started the church, like 22. And he said, okay, son, I'm with you. And he's been with me ever since. Now, if you get to know my dad, you'll, know, you'll realize he loves a number of things. Like he loves very deeply. So he loves Jesus. You can't hear my dad very long. He loves Jesus. He loves his family. He loves fishing. Amen. He doesn't know my dad. No, my dad loves fishing. My dad loves fishing. Like we can go out and if my parents are up at the cottage, he literally could leave before sunup and fish the entire day until sundown. He was actually a fishing guide at Campbell River Fishing Lodge for a number of summers in British Columbia. That's actually where my parents met. My mom was a waitress and a barber, and my dad was a fishing guide. And, and one of my dad's great disappointments in life, he always says, is that none of his children took on his love for fishing. And see, my mother, my mother pretended she liked fishing until they got married. <laughs> Seriously, she fished with him all the time. She would go out with him. But once they got married, she's like, nope, not doing it anymore. He said, what happened? I said, she always smiles. She says, I caught the fish I was trying to catch. <laughs> so she caught the fish she was trying to catch. But even now, actually, I'll say this, though. They sent me a picture this summer. Every once in a while, she'll still go out in the boat with him, and she'll go fishing. They get some quality time. But he loves fishing, and my dad loves the outdoors. Like, if you ask him, he's got stories. He spent a summer backpacking the Yukon on surveying for the, the government of Canada when he was, you know, in his early 20s, his late teens, early 20s. He, he, he went on an expedition where they fo followed the, the pathway of the great uh, uh, explorer Simon Fraser along the Simon Fraser River. Like, my dad did all kinds of outdoor stuff, so he loves the outdoor stuff. So, so here's my next question. How many of you have ever had my dad try to convince you to go on a canoe trip with him? So we have a number of hands up here. My dad, my dad, I laugh. I'm like, Dad, you're like a canoe trip evangelist. Yeah, Christina Tay, you know. We, we've had some stories that we could go into of canoe trips. So he just loves it. He loves taking people out there. Now, there's some people that love it. And there's other people, like Pastor Sharon, who go, wait a minute. So we're sleeping in tents. Yeah, we're sleeping. In, like, there's no indoor building. Yeah, okay. Where do you go to the bathroom? Well, uh, there's this box back in the woods nicknamed the Thunder Box. At that point, she's like, what's the way, man? And we're paying to do this? 
She's like, we're paying? She's like, no, no, I'm not even, I'm not going there. I'm not even there. So you got people who love it and people whatever, but you know, my dad just loves it. So I remember this time we were, my, I must have been about 11, 12, Joel was about eight or nine, because we're three years apart. And we were up at the cottage, because my grandparents had a cottage, and my friend from school, Chris Desco, came with us. So my dad got this idea, he said, hey guys, you want, let's go on an adventure, boys. So like, okay, dad, we'll go on an adventure. We're going to take the canoe, and there's a little lake that's kind of not too far from our current lake, and why don't we go and we'll do a night of camping at the current, you know, the other lake. We'll just go, and so we'll take the, we'll canoe down to the end of our lake, and they do something for all you uninitiated non-canoer types, portaging, where basically you got to pick up all your stuff and carry it through the woods until you go to the next location, right? That's just part of canoeing. And some of you are going to go, you're paying money to do this? I just don't understand. So we portage, and so we go... I can't remember exactly what our emotions were, but I think Chris especially was kind of, this is kind of new for him. He'd never been to a cottage. And now Mr. Witness saying, we're going on an adventure to another lake. So we go, we get down the lake, we grab our stuff. My dad puts the canoe on his back. You know, we're carrying our backpacks. And we go walking through kind of the woods to get to the next location. But after a while, we're walking, and we're not finding the lake. So we're kind of getting a little concerned here. You know, because there's no lake. And my dad's kind of looking at the map, going, okay, like, we're not here. So we're starting to wander around, and we are wandering, and it starts, minutes start turning to hours. And at some point, the realization dawns on us, we're lost. We don't know where we are, and it's starting to get dark. So it's starting to get dark. We've not found the lake. We don't know the way back to our old lake. And poor Chris, at some point, he literally broke down in tears and said, we're all going to die. Now, I don't think Joel and I were quite so upset. We still figured our dad would figure this thing out. But poor Chris Desco. Now, Chris, if you're watching this, I haven't talked to you since grade six or seven. Maybe there's a reason, but it'd be great to reconnect. Right? So poor Chris Desco is thinking there, and all of a sudden, we're lost in the wild. Now, we ended up sleeping, figuring out the tent. The next day, we kind of figured out the wrong term. We got back. It was good. We made it back. I always laugh, though. I've never had a chance to ask my dad exactly, did he have any conversations with Chris's parents once he brought him back home? Because I was oh, Chris, how was the trip? It was awful. Mr. Witten got us lost in the middle of the wilderness. I thought we were going to die, et cetera, with that. But, you know, anyone here, have anyone here watched those, those uh, like, survival shows? You see, it was real popular for a little while. Anyone remember a survivor show called Alone? Right? I got a loud yes from over here. And so literally they dropped these people in the middle of nowhere. And this one was really hardcore. They just give you a camera. You had to film yourself surviving. And whoever lasted the longest got $500,000. I mean, really hardcore. There's another show called Survivor Man. Anyone remember Survivor Man? He would get dropped in the middle of nowhere, and he'd learn to live off the land, and he'd have his camera guy with him. And he'd just, hey, hey, or anyone remember Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls? I remember that? I remember that show? You didn't know. There's things out there you can eat. You have no idea you can eat until Bear shows you. You can actually eat this. It's really gross, actually. But, but they go out in the middle. There was another one called, what was it, Naked and Afraid. If anyone watched that show, you should repent. But anyways, no, I'm just playing. Was, I think they kind of appropriately, but I'm still like, why am I watching naked? That one, they just put people naked in the middle. Of the I, who would sign up to do that show? I have no idea. But here's the point. Here's why, let me tell you, why did a lot of us, were we interested in that? I guarantee you, in the back of a lot of our minds, we're watching going, if I ever get stuck in the wilderness, I need to know what to do. Right? If I ever get stuck, I need to know survival skills. 
I need to know how to make a fire. I need to know how to build a shelter. I need to know how to do something. So what really attracted many people to these shows was these survival skills and understanding how to survive in the wild. Today what I want to do is I want to take a few moments here and I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about some spiritual survival skills for faith in the wild. Because here's the deal with survivor skills. If you wait till you're lost in the wild to try and learn them, it's too late. You actually have to develop the skills so then when you end up in the situation, you know what you need to do. And the same way, we are living in some wild times and we are going to end up in situations and cultural moments and things that are happening in the world around us. And if we've not developed the spiritual survival skills for faith in the wild, we are going to get taken out. We're going to lose track of what God has for us. But if we've developed these spiritual survival skills, then we will be ready to, to, to thrive. We'll be ready to overcome. Let's read Matthew 24, 1 to 14. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Interestingly enough, the word nation there is ethnos, which is actually talking about people group, will rise against people group. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in all various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up, to uh, you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because, of lawless, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I know this is a heavy passage. It's not necessarily the first passage I'd put on my fridge to look at every day and build myself up spiritually, but this is the Bible, and we need to embrace all of the scriptures because God is speaking to us. And there's so many things, that I, but I want to take out of this passage really quickly today. And my wife was laughing with me afterwards. Sometimes I just, I want to pack so much into sermons. I, I really could turn this into a four-part series. But I just, I, I felt today I needed to share these things with you. I want to talk to you about some spiritual survival skills for faith in the wild. Everybody say survival skill number one. Survival skill number one, and even if you look in this passage, I don't want to go to a particular verse, but I just want to give you the big picture that the disciples are trying to understand, and so they go to Jesus to understand. Spiritual survival skill number one, above all else, faith in the wild. We must, 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 must learn to see what is going on in the world around us. Learn to see the challenges, the, whatever's happening, we must see it from God's perspective. And we must have discernment. Everybody say learn to discern. When things go on in the world around us, how, I want to ask you to think about this right now. How do you actually filter that? Where do you and I go to understand what is happening and what does it mean? Are you going to the news? Are we going to social media? 
That, that can be, a, <laughs> that, that can be. Where, where are we going? Are we going to the popular opinions of our day? Because I think a lot of us guys know the right answers, but here's the thing. We've got to develop this spiritual survival skill for faith in the wild. Too often, we may not even realize it, but our perspective regarding something gets formed very quickly by news, by narratives, by social media, by our friendship groups, those who are around us or on kind of is there. But what we've got to learn to do above all else is we've got to learn to step back and we've got to learn to say, God, what are you saying about this. God, what is your heart about this? God, how do you want me to posture myself and respond? That has to be my number one priority. I cannot. So often, guys, and this is the danger. We are Bible-based Christians until we start hitting different issues in the world around us, and then we've already been formed by other opinions. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't know what the heart of God is, and we're very, you know, we're very set and know this is what it is, but we've never even taken a step back and said, God, what are you saying about this? God, what's your perspective on this? Romans 12 verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's quickly break this down. The first word is conformed. The original language of that gives the picture of trying to be pressured to fit into a mold. Satan's the god of this world, and you got to understand, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. He has structured things to try and get you to think a certain way. And he's very good at being deceptive with it, but he wants to pressure you into having certain perspectives and certain modes. The Bible says, don't let that happen. I mean, it's interesting, when Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he's writing to the church that is there at the seat of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had all kinds of values and ideas and morals that were not in alignment with God's heart or God's word. But when you live in a culture, if you don't actively press back against it, you naturally start to go downstream the same way it does. And so he's speaking to them when they're at the seat of power of this empire. The one that wants them to say Caesar is Lord, but yet as Christians they stand and say, no, Jesus is Lord. The Christianity was so countercultural, but they're also paying a price for their faith. But he said, don't be conformed. Be transformed by renewing. Because when you renew your mind, then you can test and you can discern. Everybody say, learn to discern. Don't just buy in hook, line, and sinker on what's being told. Take a step back. Learn to go before God. Learn to be in a place of prayer. Learn to test and learn to discern. We must have a spirit of discernment in these times. We must know how to discern. Can I bring this right home for us? Obviously one of the big issues right now that we all know is the war and what's happening right now in Israel and Gaza and it's been in the media and if you've been on social media, I mean it's just back and forth. There's all kinds of stuff. How many of us when this happened took a step back and said, Lord, quieted our spirits and said, Lord, what are you saying about this right now? God, what's your heart regarding this situation? And just in case some of you think I'm leaning certain way, let me say this. Oftentimes God's perspective does not fit in the right versus left narrative. It's like the angel of the Lord. When Joshua said, are you for us or against us? He said, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. You know, that's what he's saying. He's saying, no, I'm not for you or against you. You better get on side with me. Right? That's, what, that's where God's perspective is because too often we get pulled and there's all these things. We've got to learn to discern. 
And if there's anything that's really been in my heart, even watch, because we've been through a lot of controversial issues over the last several years. I could start naming them. I'll go, oh, right, yes, and oh, man, that. How often I felt the pressure myself. I was not perfect in myself, but I'd watch believers, and I watch what we post, what we say, where we go, and I'm going, where's the discernment? We've got to come up here and rise above to be seated in heavenly places and say, God, how are you seeing this? Guys, it's absolutely vital that we learn to discern. Everybody say, learn to discern. God, what's your word say? What are you saying about this? What's your heart about? That's our responsibility to get centered in that. 2 Corinthians 2, verse, or excuse me, 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, our Christ, be reconciled to God. Somebody say, I'm an ambassador. Come on, tell your neighbor, you're an ambassador. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of a kingdom, a government, or a nation that is sent to another kingdom, government, or nation, a territory, and their job is to represent that government. So when you're an ambassador, you may have some personal opinions, but you're not allowed to tell them your opinion. Your job is to tell them the opinion of your king or the opinion of your government. That's an ambassador's responsibility. If an ambassador goes rogue and decides to say what they think, that ambassador gets brought home. And they send somebody else who will go and who will actually speak on behalf of the king or the government. Now, I'm not trying to draw you. I'm not saying God's taking people home. I'm not saying that. I, I, I just, some people are like, what's pastor talking about right now? No, I just mean literally. They get brought home. They put them on a plane or a boat and they send them home. And they send somebody else out who's going to say what, they're, what the king is saying. We don't, have the, we don't have the luxury as ambassadors of the kingdom of God to just run our mouth about our opinion on things. We have a responsibility to find out what God is saying, to find out what God's heart is, to be intercessors who stand in the gap and then stand in and speak on behalf of the heart of God. That is our responsibility. Now, that is great when what God is saying, everybody kind of agrees with it, but the challenge that we're running into more and more is often what the kingdom of heaven is saying is not what the kingdoms of this world are saying right now. And then that's where the pressure comes in. Will we be conformed so we're liked, so we're not canceled? And again, I'm not talking about rude or obnoxious or just ridiculous. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wise, measured, righteous people who stand for what God says. But if you're going to have faith in the wild, you've got to learn to discern. If you're going to have faith in the wild, you've got you to you know, okay, this is what God's saying, and I'm with him. I don't have the scripture reference, but you remember what it said about Jesus. There were many Pharisees who believed in him, but they would not declare it publicly because they'd be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they would have been rejected by the current establishment. And the Bible says something that almost... It, Haunts isn't quite the right word, but it, it, it really sticks with me. It says, because they love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. And this whole passage, guys, I don't have time to take you through it now. 2 Corinthians 5, I mean, incredible passage of Scripture, but it gives us some real keys for being faithful ambassadors and being faithful witnesses. Because you see faithful witness, faithful ambassador? It's like, I, I can you imagine? Like, like, with what's happening in the world right now. So the, the government of Canada says to our ambassador, to a certain nation, this is our position. The ambassador goes, well, they're not going to like that very much. And the government says, okay, but that's our position. Your responsibility is now, respectfully, with grace, but you need to communicate our position. So if the ambassador goes, well, I don't know. They're not going to like me very much, so I think maybe I'll just change it a little bit. It's like, we're talking ambassadors. You can't do that. It's not being a faithful witness. 
A faithful witness is taking that stand, guys. And this is part of what God's growing us in, because I'm the first one. I'm not trying to get into controversy. I'm not trying. I like people liking me. I like liking people. I'm not trying to get into fights with people. I mean, I'm that kid. When I was a kid in daycare, my parents always used to tell me, you know, some kids want a toy. They go and grab it from the other kid. I didn't do that. I'd go find another toy. I'd give the kid the other toy. Let them enjoy that toy and then take the toy I wanted. I mean, it's just, it's just, I, I, you know, one of the teachers thought so. He'll be a great politician one day. <laughs> right? It's just like that. But it's just was my heart. I'm not trying. I understand. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about this call. If we're going to have faith in the wild, we have to be. Here's the deal. we got to know, God, what are you saying? And then we can't filter it through, well, will people like that? Or is that politically correct? Or, oh, I mean, I battle that sometimes. I see something God says, and I go, oh, that, that, people aren't going to like that one. Okay, but then here's where the challenge comes. Do I love the praise of God or do I love the praise of man? Again, please hear me. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about just blasting away and going on the street corners with signs, but I'm talking about the way we hold and live our lives, being ambassadors of the kingdom of God. If we're going to have faith in the wild, we have to. We have to know what God is saying. We have to know God's heart, and then we have to be faithful to his heart, and we have to be faithful to his word, come hell or high water. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, it's a great passage, but it gives us some keys to this. It talks about the fear of the Lord. Right? The fear of God, not being afraid of God, but it's I'm so aware of God. I'm aware of his holiness. I'm aware of his presence. I will never try and compromise what he's saying so someone will let, you know, you know what I mean? Um, it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. One day, we are all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before Jesus. And here's some of the challenges we will face because we are going to face moments in the days that are coming where all the pressure is going to be on us to compromise God's truth, to compromise God's heart. So in that moment, we get a, a pat on the back or we don't get, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like we're not used to, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are very used to these dynamics already. We're going to have to grow in being used to this. But you have to remember in that moment, I might take the easy road right now, but I'm going to stand before Jesus one day and I'm going to give an account. And how about you? But I don't want to stand there and have to give an account that Jesus, you know, I was more concerned about their opinion of me in that moment than I was of your heart and your opinion for me. I always remember something that, uh, I always remember this, uh, I was in grade 10, and I, I took weight training class because I was skinny, and I wanted some muscles. I was trying to play basketball, and I was really skinny, to be honest, like really, really skinny. But uh, So I'm in this weight training class, and it's a very stereotypical, you know, think stereotypical weight training class. It's a whole bunch of jocks. You know, it's just got a bunch of guys, and, and we're in there one day. I remember, so I'm the young guy because it really was a grade 11, grade 12 class, but I... I don't know if I, I don't think I snuck in. I think I was honest. I'm a grade 10, but I'm like, I just really need this class. So anyways, I mean, I was trying to learn how to lift weights and trying to do whatever. So, so are there, and, but I just kept my head down and stayed out of it because it's all these older guys and I'm not, you know, so we're there. And I remember one day, there's another guy in the class who's a Christian. His name was Eric. And I met him, got to know him. He's a couple years older than me. And, and he was very bold about his faith. Remember one day we're in the change room. I always remember this for the rest of my life. We're in the change room after class and the guys just started ripping into him. And not like kind of a funny kind of ripping into him, like just going after him. You Christian, you're a loser, you're this, you're that. Oh yeah, you won't have sex, you won't this, you won't cuss. You won't. Like, so they were just like several guys were just going after him. So me, I never experienced this before. 
And I'm like, so I'm kind of watching, and you know, you're just trying, I'm trying to stay on the line of fire in some ways, you know, I'm just kind of in there. And I remember they're just going after him. And I remember Eric looked back at them. And so, because remember, when you take a stand, never forget your stand is not just about you, but so often it strengthens others. And I remember Eric looked back at me and said, Guys, you know why I don't do this and this and that? He said, because the Bible says that one day we all stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives. We'll give an account for every word we've spoken, every action we've committed. So because I'm accountable to Jesus, I will not step into that. But I want you to know that you will stand before God one day and you will give an account as well. Silence. <laughs> but I remember it was, it was he, he, he took a stand in that moment. He didn't, he didn't back down. He, he said, I'm with Jesus. I'm with his truth. I'm with his promises. And, and he was bold in that moment. And it was, he was great, had a great heart for evangelism. He organized, he actually ended up organizing some different crusades. And as a younger leader, I got to work with him. He, his hero was Billy Graham. And he preached just like Billy Graham. It was, it was so great. And I think he's still in pastoral ministry today somewhere. But it really impacted me. So number one, and obviously I got to pick this pace way up. But survival skill number one is we've got to see things from God's perspective. With all that's going on in the world around us, did you step back and say, God, what are you saying about this? God, what's your heart? Now, maybe you didn't. Don't feel condemned about that today, but now learn spiritual survival skills. i got to step back because there's a lot more things coming. And there's a lot of agendas. And there's a lot of narratives that try to get pushed. And we've got to learn to discern. And we've got to learn to say, God, what are you saying about this? Everybody say, learn to discern. That's survival skill number one. Survival skill number two is very connected to number one, but it's simply this. We need to, survival skill number two is you've got to guard against deception. Become a lover of truth. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 11, he said that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. One translation of this passage says in those days, deception will run rampant. And so this thing is very important because we're staying connected. God's what's your heart. God, what's your perspective? But survival skill number two is we have got to learn to, to guard against deception in our lives and to learn to be lovers of truth. It's really important, guys. Jesus emphasized this. And spiritual pride would say, I could never be deceived. Spiritual pride would say, no, no, I can't get it. But here's the problem with deception. When you're, decept when you're deceived, you don't think you're deceived. When's the last time you saw someone say, hey, I'd like to share my opinion about this, but by the way, I'm deceived. <laughs> right? You know, you get those, those uh, fact check warnings on Instagram, right? Maybe we need a kingdom fact checker. Someone post something. Fact check. This person is under deception. They walk in a spiritual deception, just a warning. Right? We don't get that because when you're deceived, you don't think you're deceived. You think you're good. Now, sometimes we like to point out other people have been deceived, but I want us to turn the attention to ourselves. And some of the prayer, God, is there areas in my life where I've been deceived? God, help me to guard against deception. Because Jesus said, take heed that you're not deceived. Spiritual survival skills for faith in the wild is saying, I'm going to guard against deception. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, 10 says this, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. Survival skill number two, become a lover of truth. 
Now, this is more than facts because first and foremost, the truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But as lovers of truth, it's diving into our relationship with Jesus. But then it's also becoming a lover of the word of God, becoming a lover of God's truth. I've said this before in the past, but if you look at someone who's an expert at identifying faked or forged money, you might be tempted to ask them, how do you study fake money? Here's what they'll tell you. I don't. I don't even look at the fake money. I don't deal with the fake money. What I do is I spend all my time with the real money. I spend all my time with the authentic money. I know what it feels like. I know what it smells like. I know the texture of it. So I spend so much time with the real. The minute I come in contact with something that's counterfeit, I can tell it's counterfeit. I something inside of me. And when you spend time with the real, you spend time with Jesus, you spend time in his word, you're in these upper room seasons, the Holy Spirit's in you. He leads you and guides you into all truth. But when deception starts to come across your path, something inside of you, you might even know what it is, but you just go, no, no, something's not right here. You start getting some warn bell, warning bells going off because you're not giving into deception. Spend time with the real. Number two, pray regularly and ask God to guard your heart against deception. Now, I'm not talking about, you can get fearful. Oh, am I being deceived? I don't know. Are we all deceived? I don't know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a trust in God, but also a humility that says, Lord, guard my heart against deception. And then number three, stay teachable. Stay teachable. Stay open to grow and to learn and to be corrected. I've always committed in my heart and life, I want to be a teachable person. If a 10-year-old is standing up and sharing something from the Word of God, I want to be open to receive what they're saying. I'm not going to go, well, I'm older, I've had this many Bible school degrees or this or that. I will learn from whoever, however, whenever. I'll guard against false prophets and false teaching. But other than that, because you can have a lot of problems, but if you're teachable, God can help you grow to where you need to grow. But woe to the person who won't listen to anybody, who doesn't want to receive anything, because if you're not teachable, you're stuck where you are. And so it's staying teachable and staying open and saying, okay, God, show me if there's deception in my life. Survival skill number three. Everybody say number three. I was like three of you. Everybody say number three. That was a little better. All right. I just know. I know we're just the convictions hitting home. That's all it is right now. So Jesus said, and then many will be offended. Survival skill number three is to guard against offense. And become an expert forgiver. Now, I don't know it's proper English, but I said it anyways. Become an expert forgiver. Become an Olympic athlete level forgiver who just becomes amazing at forgiving people. Why is this? Because Jesus said in the last days, and I think in times of turmoil, one of the enemy's main attacks against us is offense. Here's how he's going to attack you guys. You're, you're moving in God. Upper room season. Let's go, Jesus. He will try and work through somebody who's under his influence or some kind of situation. he attack to get you offended. You remember when Jesus was in his hometown and he stood up and read the word? And the Bible says, and they were offended at him. Because they said, who is? This is Jesus. We grew up with him. Who does he think he is? We know his mother. We know his brother's this. Who is this to stand up and say this? And they became offended. And the Bible says he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. In other words, their offense, their offense shut down what God was trying to do. 
It didn't say Jesus decided not to. It said he still tried to heal a few and he did a few miracles. But because they embraced offense, it literally undermined the power of what God wanted to do. And there were people who wanted to get, who didn't get healed, who didn't get ministered to, not because Jesus chose not to, but because they allowed offense in their heart. And the enemy comes after so many Christians. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. For by it, many have been defiled. So many Christians have become contaminated by offense and it shuts you down from what God's called you to do. It shuts you down from where God wants to take you. And isn't it interesting that we live in a world right now that everybody's offended at everything? Okay, now let's practice for a second. I'm not, number one, saying there's not some things that we needed to grow in our culture because there were some things that were unkind that were not good and we needed to clean up some things. But it has gone the whole, because you step back and say, okay, God, what's your perspective on this right now? End times, offense, everybody's offended because when you offend, what offense is this? Offense is feelings of hurt, indignation, or irritation because of perceived wrong or an insult. Perceived or real. So here's what happens. The enemy is going to attack your life by trying a way to offend you, get you offended. Now, if you hold on to that offense, a root of bitterness starts to grow in your heart. And when a root of bitterness starts to grow in your heart, slowly but surely, because the devil's smart. If he did it really fast, everybody would go, wait a minute, what happened here? I'm not doing that. But slowly but surely, we start to get poisoned by bitterness. We start to become defiled. And all of a sudden, there can do no mighty works. What happens in a church where 60, 70, 80% of the people coming into the congregation weekly are carrying all kinds of offenses? Right? We've got to do war against offense. How do we do war against offenses? As I said, we become Olympic-level forgivers. We get good at forgiving people. We get so strong in just, I am not, gonna, I am not going to, I, you just know, it's not happening. I'm not taking offense. Because here's the point, does someone deserve forgiveness? No, especially if you talk about evil things that happen. They don't deserve your forgiveness, but you know what? We didn't deserve Jesus' forgiveness either. But if you hold on to offense, it is like you drinking poison yourself and expecting it to hurt somebody else. Offense locks you down. Offense binds you up. Offense shuts you down. And so if you're going to be someone who's got spiritual survival skills for faith in the wild, you've got to learn to say, I'm going to be someone who forgives. I am not going to hold on to offense. You can call me what you want to call me. I forgive you. You can say what you want to say. I forgive you. You can act whatever way you want to act. I'm seeing this from God's perspective. I'm recognizing that my battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of wickedness in high places. And if I know that the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and if his attack point against me is offense I am not going to take it because if I get offended Satan wins but if I forgive the kingdom of God advances and so you've got to make a decision I forgive I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to bless when I'm cursed. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to go. The soldier asked me to carry my bag one mile, which was a sign of oppression of the Roman Empire. I'm going to carry it too. Not because I'm yielding, but this is actually my way of resisting what the devil's trying to do. I will forgive. Now, I laugh. Let, let's make sure we make this real. You're going to, in the moment, not feel like forgiving. Like I say, you say this about me, I forgive you. I feel like punching you in the face. 
right? We're going to feel that, but then I've got to see this from a heavenly perspective. And I take a step back and say, no, I'm not taking the bait. The, the, the word offense, actually, John Bevere writes about this very well in Bait of Satan. But the word offense actually talks about it's a, it's a, it was a bait for a trap. And when you take the bait, then you get trapped. Don't take the bait. Now you're like, yeah, but it's hard to forgive. And maybe some of you are seeing you've gone through some really like, terrible things. It's hard to forgive. Yeah, you don't have the strength in yourself. But here's what you have. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, I will give you power. And I will give you power to forgive. I will give you power to live free from offense. Why do you think Jesus said, if they slap you, turn the other cheek? Because when you turn the other cheek, you release a higher power. That's greater than anything you could come back with. And you undermine what the devil's trying to do. But guys, if we're going to have spiritual survival skills in the wild, faith in the wild, we must guard against offense. Can I show you one more thing on this? Mark 11, 22, 25. It says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says will come to pass, will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received it, and it will be yours. Amazing passage, right? How many people want to have faith in God? Uh, not too many of us. Come on, guys. I know I'm, I know I'm hitting you pretty good today, but come on. How many want to have, speak to mountains and watch them move? Come on. How many want to, whatever you ask for in prayer, that kind of power in prayer, believe you receive. This is what God has for us. This is what God's calling us to. But you can't leave out verse 25. Because verse 25 says this. And whenever you stand praying, Forgive. In other words, if I allow the devil to get offense into my life, I will not be able to walk in the faith of God. I will not be able to speak to mountains and see them removed. And I will not be able to ask and believe for whatever I receive for in prayer. How many of us offense has actually shut down the power that God's trying to release through our lives? I don't want you to see the offense anymore today. I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to see the power that he has in your life. Stop letting the devil win by getting you to take the bait. Stop taking the bait. Flip the script on him. Release the power of forgiveness. They don't deserve forgiveness. No, they don't deserve forgiveness. But you're actually attacking the enemy by forgiving. It's not about what we or they or anyone else deserved. It's grace. Thank God we didn't get what we deserved. And we don't want other people to get what they deserve. We all need the grace of God in our lives. Amen? And so let us not receive the grace of God for our lives, but then reject giving it towards others. I know it's tough, but this is faith in the wild. You want to be out in the wild. This is where it goes. It's, 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 Playtime is over. You've got to learn how to function and walk in spiritual warfare and walk with the weapons that God is giving you. One of the greatest weapons of our warfare that's mighty to God through the point of strong is forgiveness. Why? Because that's what Jesus released to turn the history of humankind all around. Somebody say, get rid of offense. Okay, I have no time for number four. Number four is lawlessness. It says, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. NIV says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Can I say this? I might pick this up one next week. We got to embrace holiness, guys. Lukewarm, half-hearted, cream puff, ice cream cone in the middle of July, Christianity is not going to cut it in the wild. It's not going to cut it where God's called you to go. We have got to make a decision that I'm with Jesus all the time, 
24-7, seven days a week. I'm not going to be worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning while up in the club doing whatever on Saturday night and then Monday night watching this that I know it should know. You got to get that out because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but it's making a decision that I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in because we're in the wild right now. We're not talking about kind of safe, easy, you know, safety blankets, everything around us. We're in the wild. You got to go all in for Jesus. That's my point on that. Survival skill number five, and if Arnold wants to come back, endure to the end. Jesus said this, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. In other words, survival skill number five is developing persevering faith in our hearts. And if I can just close with this encouragement to you guys today, I want to encourage you regarding persevering faith in your life. You know, when we got lost in the middle of the wilderness with Chris Stesco and Mr. Wittens leading us all astray, we couldn't stop and just say, we're done. We're saying, if we just sat down in the middle of the wilderness, we never would have gotten out of there. We had to keep going. We had to keep moving. We had to keep looking. And too often in the spirit, when it gets hard, we set up camp and just say, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too hard. And we stop. You can't stop. You got to keep going. You say, I'm going through the wilderness. Well, keep going. Don't stay there. Keep moving forward. How are you doing today? Well, I'm going through some stuff. Okay, praise God. Keep going through it then. Don't stay there. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't build your house in the valley of the shadow of death. Make a decision that I'm going to keep going. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Guys, listen, there's a lot of you in here right now. It's hard right now. I know it's hard. You're in some tough seasons. There's some difficult challenges you're facing. Here's why I want to encourage you. Number one, believe God. Choose to believe God. If money's tight right now, believe God. If there's battles in your family right now, believe God. If there's things about your future you're not seeing clearly right now, believe God. Choose to believe God for what he's going to do. But then also have patience. What is Bible patience? Bible patience is being steadfast or persevering. It's not a passive, I'm just sitting back and hoping something happens and maybe God will do something. No, Bible patience is like that soldier. It's a little bit like Shama. You remember Shama, one of the mighty men of David, where he stood in the middle of a lentil field when everyone else was running from the Philistines and he said, I'm done running. I'm standing right here and you are going to have to take this field over my dead body, but I'm not going to run anymore. I'm taking a stand in this moment. And then the power of God came on him and he took out one enemy soldier after another enemy soldier. Some of us need to stop running and take a stand on what God has told us and have the patience to say, it's hard, I'm in a battle, but you know what? You can quit or you can fight. I say we fight. You can give up or you can stand. I say we stand. I say we say God is good. God is coming. It's like Moe and Victor's testimony. They went through a really hard trial, but you know what? They said this is not causing us to walk away from God. We are going to learn to see his goodness in the middle of our situation and here they are today standing with their beautiful baby boy dedicating him to Jesus Christ you might be in a battle right now but I want to encourage you you find that lentil field and you say I'm not running anymore I'm not going to run anymore come on who's not going to run anymore you say, I'm not, this is, I, I know this is, some of you are kind of, wow, you're really strong. This is prophetic for somebody today. Because today, you stop running. Today, you stop making excuses. You stand on the promises of God. Get your faith. Get your patience. And say, this is where I stand. 
Right, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't bow your knee, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw in the fiery furnace. They say, okay. They say, we don't even need to think about this, though. Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing to your stupid statue. We're not going to do it. And then the fourth man shows up in the blazing furnace. But guys, even if, even, let's just say they didn't. Let's say they became martyrs. Then they walk through the gates of heaven knowing that they stood for Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be a martyr. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, don't bow your knee. Don't bow your knee. The spirit of Shama. Father, I pray today for the spirit of Shama in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you just as your word says, Jeremiah 12, verse 5. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? God, I thank you that you're training us to run with horses. God, I thank you. There's so many people in this place. You are teaching them to run with horses. So it's hard right now. It's difficult, but you are teaching them to run in the purpose and the calling that you have for them. And so, Father, today I just pray as we close Hebrews chapter 12. Come on, if you're going to, let's just do this at the end here. If your heart is saying, I want to have this faith and patience. God, help me to have this faith in a while. I just want you to raise your hands, Lord, right now. If you want to stand up, you can stand up, whatever. But I just pray over you in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Come on, guys. We're going to throw off, we're going to throw off deception. We are going to throw off offense. We're going to throw off two-faced, lukewarm Christian living. God, and we are going to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Watch this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned his shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And Father, I just pray this over us today in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for faith in the wild. God, I thank you for hearts to hear what you are saying. God, I thank you for a spirit of encouragement in this place today. God, and I know especially in there, I was preaching right into some people's hearts because today they stop running. And today they take their stand of faith and they watch the Lord break through in their situation. And so, Father, we just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you for a spirit of faith and a spirit of patience, God. And with that spirit of faith and patience, we will inherit the promises, God. Lord, you never promised this will be easy. And Lord, you actually promised us that sometimes it was going to be hard. But you said you were with us. You said you would always strengthen us. And you said you would always lead us into triumph. And so I thank you for that spirit of faith today and patience in the house. God, that we trust you. We believe you. We're with you. And Lord, I just take authority where the enemies come with bitterness, with disappointment, with discouragement, with offense. We just speak that's uprooted from our lives in Jesus' name. God, show us where we've embraced deception. We don't want it. We want the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for all this today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said. Amen, amen. Come on. Somebody say faith in the wild. Come on, say it, faith in the wild.